Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bayman. What's up, everybody? Today we have Eugene Wang and Austin Bach here back from the Pro Tour, which was yesterday. How's, uh, how's everything, guys? Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, well, we didn't play yesterday, so that was not so good, but it's sure, not like sure. we expected to. Yeah, just the, the Pro Tour just wrapped uh, last night. What, you just got back in today, Eugene? Uh, yeah, that's right. And Austin, you flew back late, late last and, night. And I gotta say, it's very nice to be able to wear shorts outside again. <laughs> yeah, pretty cold, right? We are spoiled on yeah. the West Coast in yeah. our beautiful, sunny Southern California, where they're just 90 degrees in January. <laughs> I'll take sunshine over a Pro Tour appearance any day of the week. What? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, so, so you guys, this was the first pro tour for both of you, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, pretty exciting first first experience. But like, what was just your general? You walked in the door. What was it like? It was definitely unlike any tournament I've been to. Just like you, you get this this vibe that you're part of something bigger that you've been a part of before. You see all these players that you recognize right. from on stream. Yeah, it, it felt more like a private party, whereas this, uh, whereas a GP would be like, you know, this huge public gathering sure just the entire community i would imagine so because i mean a lot of grand prix nowadays are like 15 16 1800 people and the pro tour is what 400 people yeah there were i think 407 people or something so like you've that. got 20 percent or less of the size but every single face in magic that you've come to know and, and recognize they're all there a lot well, of them, yeah. What was that like, just sort of walking around and every other person you see, oh, that guy, I know that guy, because I'm sure you've seen these guys at Grand Prix before. Right, well, I mean, that part was not unlike a Grand Prix day two where, you know, you just see a bunch of good people at, playing at your tables, but uh, it was it, it was different in that I didn't see, I, I didn't see that many people that I didn't recognize, um, or if I, if, I did, then they were, you know, obviously foreign, so I'd have less knowledge about them. But, like, the American players, I recognize almost all of them. Really, what are foreigners doing in Washington, D.C., anyways? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how do you guys feel about the intimidation factor versus, say, they do have a Grand Prix? Like, obviously, you've seen a lot of these guys before. Was it was it a little different just sitting down? Like, who were some of the guys in your uh, your draft pods? Well, my pod was pretty stacked. I, uh, I got there, and I was seated between... Uh, Paulo Vitor Domodorosa and John Finkel. Oh, wow. That's a pretty stacked pod. That's <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. I also had uh, John Stern somewhere else in my pod, and like I recognized a couple of the other guys from like GP Top 8 coverage. So you definitely get the sense that like you're not going to get any freebies in your early rounds like you might at a GP. Sure, sure. That's pretty crazy. What about you? Yeah. Uh, I had Jamie Park in my first pod, and I think that was like the only really well-known pro. Sure. Uh, but then in my second pod... Um, I went in X and three, so there were, well, I mean, at, at that point, it's like pretty much everyone good has managed to make day two unless they got unlucky. So, uh, in my second pod, I had um, Nathan Holiday, Martin Yuza, okay, and uh, I'm trying to remember the last person because I, oh yeah, Matt Sperling, who uh, yeah, I, I played Nathan and Matt. Yeah, and Andrews played Sperling in the finals of that uh, Grand Prix. What three weeks ago? Yeah, so we, we all right. know Sperling. Yeah. He's local. Local cat. Uh, <laughs> so this is really exciting to have two, because we've, we've mentioned a few times, the Heidi Ho crew is kind of blowing up, and there's a lot of you guys have been day twoing, and now obviously going to Pro Tour, we have a couple more guys going to the next one. Um, it's very exciting to have two of you here at a modern Pro Tour. 
mean, that's obviously we love modern on this podcast. That's what we're covering. So what? Let's start off. What decks did you guys play? Start with you, Austin. Uh, well, I played Storm because they. Of course, you played Storm. <laughs> I always try to find the most degenerate deck in the format, and they wouldn't let me play Birthing Pod, so I went back to my old standby. Which is a uh, twenty-minute turn. <laughs> how many? How many of your decks have been banned out from under you in modern? Oh now? man! Well, Storm was the first deck I played uh, when I picked up the format. Then Seething Song got banned. I moved on to Eggs. Second sure. Sunrise got banned. And I moved on to Pod, which had Deathrite and Pod banned. So now I'm back <laughs> full circle back to Storm. Well, how do you like this version of Storm versus the old Seething Song version? Um, it's definitely less explosive, but. It's still as powerful, I think, as it was back then. Like, Coffin Electromancer adds a lot to the deck. People don't realize just how good that card is, I think. I like that card a lot. Well, I'm pretty sure if it comes into play, you win if it survives your next turn Basically. 80% of the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, card's awesome. What about you, Eugene? So, uh, I had a similar story to Austin in that they banned my favorite deck, but I had never played anything in Modern extensively other than Birthing Pod. I played most of the Birthing Pod variants, um... And I played a lot of Birthing Pod when it was legal and standard, so I am pretty much like pod, 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 pod. Weren't you messing around with Ascendancy for a minute? Uh, yes, I did play Ascendancy in Grand Prix Omaha because I I was positive that Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time would be banned, so I felt like it was my only chance to play those cards in a big tournament, so sure. I might as well take it. Uh, I did not really think that Pod was going to get banned, uh, but it did, and so uh, now I just had to inflict my pain and sorrow onto... The rest of the world, so I decided to play Burn. After we got out of the fetal position. After the <laughs> so Burn, taking Burn to a Pro Tour, and, and incidentally, two copies of the Burn deck showed up in the top eight. Yeah, definitely think it was one of the right choices, because just people were next-leveling themselves and not thinking that that was what people are going to actually bring to a Pro Tour. Well, Eidolon is so good, and it's, I mean, and like, I, I guess... It just seems like that card kind of pushes it over the top for modern, right? It, it does. Uh, it's also a very tricky card to play. It's probably the card with the most play in the deck in that if you're not careful, you can get trapped under it, and uh, that is what happened to me in two of my matches. Because you... Be, uh, so let's clarify what card we're talking about. It's Ion the Great Revels, right? Yeah, so you can get into a situation where you can't cast any more spells. Yeah, so it, it's a red-red enchantment creature. It's a 2-2 that whenever you cast a spell under three converted mana costs... You, three or less, you take two damage. So whenever any player. any player. Any player. Any player. But then, when you're at two life, you can't play spells ever again, because there's not another spell in the deck over three mana, right? So the reason it's so difficult is because most of the most of the spells that do damage in the burn deck are three, are three damage burn spells. So if you take two every time you play three, you're trading it for one damage. But if you play it at the wrong point in the game, or they can respond and get you at a lower life total you will, in fact, just die, and you can't kill them even though your spells are more advantageous for you, correct? Right, you'll be essentially checkmated. Yeah, it's an interesting card. It actually, I think it's a cool card to have exist in the burn deck because it makes it a little bit less of just, like, bang my head against the wall and hope to break through kind of a deck. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what was your experience like playing burn? Um, I did not really have a great time playing it. Uh, as you can imagine, it's not <laughs> all that fun of a deck. Um, but also, um, a lot of... Games come down to, with Burn, they come down to maneuvering the game state into a position where if you top deck a Burn spell, you'll win. And you have a number of turns to do so before they kill you. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I got a little bit unlucky on my hits. Like, there were several matches that I would have won if one of two or one of three uh, of the cards on top of my deck did damage to my opponent, and over half the spells and the over half the cards in the deck 
do that. And what did uh, you think did was not. your best card in the deck all weekend? Um, I want to say, I want to say Searing Blaze. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, the ob- obvious best card in Light the deck bolt. is it, no, it's actually Goblin Guide. Oh, okay. Go- right, Goblin right. Guide has the best uh, mana to damage rate. Of you usually get about cards. six damage out of it. Uh, if you're on the play, you can get six damage. Um, you usually get four damage. Okay. What about you, Austin? What was your experience playing Storm? Uh, I hated playing against Eidolon with the Great Revel. Let me tell you that. <laughs> that card, I can't beat it. But uh, Do you play four Lightning Bolt in the main? No, I, those are in the sideboard. So game one, you can't get rid of it? Uh, well, there's Grape Shot, but it's very sure, difficult. You don't really want to spend Grape <laughs> yeah. Shot on Eidolon. It's, it's very hard to win game one. But uh, yeah, in general, I thought the deck was not a very good choice for this Pro Tour, to be honest. Mostly just because of how popular Burn was. And in a in a field where the metagame is so unclear, people are going to try to play proactive, faster decks, which sure. combo can sort of struggle with at times. I mean, when John Finkel isn't playing Storm at a Pro Tour, you know it's yeah, maybe not the as, best choice. As, as soon as I heard he audibled to Infect, I knew it was in some trouble. Well, you know, the story behind that is uh, Finkel got won over by his testing team uh, when they told him that it had a faster clock than Storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, because it added the Delve spell, right? The uh, the plus six, plus six. The Become a Mint. Yeah. yeah, which is just crazy. Like, it adds, like, so much power to that deck. I mean, it's just a fast deck anyway. It's one of, it's one of those high variants. Uh, it's like, what am I trying to say here? It's one of those decks that's not intrinsically powerful, like, say, Abzan. It's just, if it's the right call. It's... You're, you're playing a bunch of bad cards that together kill someone real quick. Yeah, versus it can be very explosive. Of, like, every card you draw is decent. Which is the most awesome part about modern. The deck, the deck like that can be the deck of choice for John Finkel on any given weekend just because it just happens to be good enough. I mean, if you look at the top two, really, both of them, one of them was like a pile of bad cards that make something crazy happen, and another one's a pile of just good cards that also make something crazy happen. So the t- so 28% of the field was playing Abzan Midrange, which is like basically the current iteration of the original strong deck, Jund. Um, What's interesting about that is also that was day two. So day one had 25% and it went up day two. Day, day one had 25%, and by day two, it was at 28%. So it went up in how much of the field was playing it. And now there's a handful of different lists of this deck out there. Um, there's the there's obviously the one list that, uh, who, what's his name, who, who played it? Uh, the the Wiltley Gleesh version. Yeah, uh, well, Brian Kibler championed the deck, and then they were on the same team. And so okay. It was... So yeah, it played Wiltley Gleeshes and Locks on Smiters, and it was sort of the anti-Liliana version of the deck. I mean, the joke is it's pod without pod even though i mean there is something different it's kind of just what green white hate bears used to be kind sure. of where you're playing just like willie liege and locks on smiter and voice resurgence but the added black for rhino and it just looks very very similar to what pod kind of was doing if you got rid of all the one ofs how many times did you guys play against uh abzan midrange decks over the weekend uh, i played against it twice with storm and uh i won both of them okay and i thought it was interesting because abzan was everyone knew going in it was going to be such a high percentage of the metagame or of the field at that tournament, that everyone that was playing Abzan had to tune their deck to beat the other Abzan decks, which right. kind of left, like, some maneuvering if you're trying to beat that deck. So, like, usually it's a pretty poor matchup for Storm, but when those decks are, like, shaving on their Thoughtseizes and Lilianas, it suddenly swings things back in your favor. I was I was actually really surprised about how little of Thundermaw Hellkite I saw all weekend, because I knew Lingering Souls was Souls everywhere, was and I just day. didn't see it on like anyone's deck playing it, and I thought it was like weirdly well-positioned, because we mentioned before, the only removal spells that kills it in the format is Path, and then it's just this 5-5 five, five haste, but it ended up, like, I don't think like any blue-white-red decks did very well after day one. The other card I was, well, first, before I say 
So I, I want to say that I think I played against Thundermaw Hellkite, and I say I think because I assumed he was in his deck, but uh, I'm not sure. So I played I played two black-green mid-range decks. One was the classic Abzan, uh, and the other was actually a Junt deck uh, piloted by Rookie of the Year Ray Perez Jr. Okay. And, um, yeah, he was, he was playing red cards. He was playing Lightning Bolt along with Charmagoyf and Corsair of Crufix and right. Liliana of the Veil. Uh, and so I, w- I was thinking, you know, why would he play that? And the only reason I could really come up with was that Thundermaw Hellkite trumps Lingering Souls, and uh, all the Absand decks were moving towards three or four Lingering Souls. Other than Lightning Bolt, does the Jun version, like, what's it play? Like, it plays Olivia now in the four-drop slot, right? Is that yeah, Olivia and Chandra. And Chandra, okay, but that's pretty much it. Th- those Red. are options. Uh, Huntmaster's also an option. Sure, it's one of those four-drops that replace Blood Raid Elf. Right, uh, you know, just all these four drops that get outclassed by Siege Rhino. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess Olivia doesn't really, but the others do. I saw one copy of Dismember in Ephra's deck. Um, I was a little surprised to see less less Dismembers. It seems like a kind of an obvious choice if you can support it without taking too much damage, if you can actually be like a little bit more committed to black, just because there's going to be so many Rhinos. It's very bad against Burn. Right. So yeah, if you, even if you're taking two out of it, it's still... Yeah. yeah. Ephra was also playing Noble Hierarchs, which helps you win the Rhino Mirror. So right, that might have been a consideration as well. He also had the one copy of Batter Skull, and his main. Right, deck. yeah, 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 to hedge. Um, all right, so let's let's move on now. So, so you guys showed up knowing that after the the banned and restricted list, that obviously Abzan was going to be the the main deck of choice, um, and and it was for most people. What did you? What else did you notice while you were there? As far as things that surprised you, deck choices, just general trends, maybe like the dealers tables, what was missing. So uh, getting into your actual experience showing up, obviously this was the first Pro Tour since the Band and Restricted announcement. We lost Treasure Cruise, Dig Through Time, and Birthing Pod. Everybody knew the format was going to look a little different, and you showed up to see a lot of abs in midrange, which is what we expected, sort of podless pod. What else did you notice while you were there? Other surprising decks, maybe cards that were missing from the dealer's tables? Well, I, I didn't really pay attention to the dealer tables, but I was pretty surprised at uh, the fact that so many people were playing Infect, and not just Channel Fireball Pantheon, but uh, it was like fifteen percent of the field. I think it was like the third most represented deck in the in the Pro Tour. Yeah, like I, I saw some Canadian amateurs were playing it, and um, Austin Versovich, one of the two uh, players that went eight zero on day one, was playing it. Hmm. Did you guys test against Infect? Uh, I actually didn't. I didn't take it seriously. Um, I thought that. Abzan would be too oppressive of a matchup, so I kind of just, I, I tried to optimize for time. You know, we, we didn't have that much time after the ban restricted list. Sure. And it's like, I'm not going to waste my time on this deck. Abzan crushes it. Clearly, I was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> what is that matchup like? I mean, why why do you think Infect was able to show up through, I mean, why do you think it was so much less oppressive than you were expecting? Why do you think those guys chose it? Well, for creature decks, it has one of the best counterspells to Abrupt Decay, being things that give creatures hexproof or sure, right, right, right. from colors. Like, you know, the problem twin decks generally have against Abzan is Abrupt Decay is just a golden trump against them, plus Thoughtseize. So, like, Infect can kind of get around that, and they can get creatures down or their lands get around uh, Thoughtseize. Right. So their biggest problem is Lingering Souls. Which I think did give them a problem. I mean, they didn't make the top eight. They didn't do as well on day two as they did on day one. But I do think that those two factors definitely helped them. But they were playing the the uh, the double strike trample instant that we talked about in the set review, right? The uh, the ferocious okay. teamer it? battle rage. Yeah, right. That that was played, I think, in a deck, but it it was not in any of the. 
Of the so, Channel Fireball guys? Yeah. No. I could I thought I saw it in the list. I mean, a lot of interviews post-fact that they said, like, Become a Mets was one of the reasons they did it. They, right. they figured out that this was a powerful Delve card. Delve is a powerful mechanic. We right. can take advantage. This is one of the ones that is best to be taken advantage of in Modern. So let's test with it, and they found that just Infect can beat face really well. Yeah, Infect also struggled historically with blue-white-red control, and that was a deck that didn't show up that w- or didn't have a very good tournament right. because of its poor Abzan matchup, so it was a pretty good metagame choice in that respect. There was, like, no Restoration Angels at this tournament. Yeah, there was a joke someone made that Restoration Angel was banned before yeah. <laughs> the Pro Tour. <laughs> it was weird. That card, like, I mean, Edgy Edge just didn't uh, it, show it's, up. It's also, I mean... The metagame will cycle and it might come back. It's just sure. The, the thing that I noticed with just like the tables in general, a lot of interviews is pros don't really know how to react to modern as well as they know how to react to like standard. There's not really a benefit for like they don't get as much use out of like two weeks of testing between ban list restriction announcements, right? And the pro tour versus standard because like even though the format is a little open, it's still pretty much the same thing. So you'll notice a lot of them all just pick the same deck. They just sure. like we. That's why Jund was like perceived as such a huge part of the metagame forever and then pod eventually took that slot over was just most pros are like well i know this deck is good it's always been good it's not difficult to play and i and most likely i'm not going to waste my time trying to come up with some better idea when this is just probably going to be better than it so do we have a question so we talk a lot about testing and coming up with decks and figuring out what deck choices to make for specific tournaments what process did you guys go through to kind of figure out um, what decks you were going to play with, what was your testing process like, who did you test with? Uh, so we tested locally with uh, some of our friends, uh, who, some of who were and some of who weren't qualified. We built a gauntlet, um, and we just threw the various gauntlet decks at Abzan to start with to see what would realistically survive um, under the expectation that Abzan would be the best and most commonly played deck. What was your Abzan list? Did you just what you just figured pile the best cards or something off Jump the Siege right now? Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I looked at um, successful Abzan lists. I mean that that was still a deck, even while Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise sure. were in the format. So I just started with those. Um, I experimented with uh, lists that had Dark Confidant and lists that didn't have Dark Confidant. And initially, I thought that Dark Confidant would actually be played. Um, but uh, I think, like, Tassiger kind of pushed that. Out. Was it clear to you guys from the get go that Tassiger was going to show up in numbers? You, everybody oh, was yeah. sure of it? Uh, I was reasonably certain of it. I mean, I was. I didn't think that it was going to show up as much as it did, but I thought that it would be the most modern playable card in Fate Reforged. It's a pretty and awesome Kessler card. I was wrong about that. It's Kessler's like favorite card before. Oh like, yeah. Well, nuts. It does everything I like to do. It dirtles with the graveyard. It's <laughs> yeah, really, really good. It draws you cards. He has bananas available to him anytime he needs them. Did you guys Perfect. test together? Uh, a little bit, yeah. So, and then the rest of the Heidi Ho sort of team, I, I know you guys are, you, you don't have like an official awesome team name yet, right? It's like Team Heidi Ho. I keep trying to champion you guys to come up with a ridiculous <laughs> name. Every time we have somebody in here, I try to insist. But What was no. uh, Single Moms? Was yeah, it was kind of, a, it was an in-joke in on the last <laughs> podcast. Nobody's going to get that. <laughs> I just wanted you guys to like, something random and ridiculous. But anyway, no, there was no, uh, there's no, no team name. I mean, we're not actually a team, right? We're just well, friends. I mean, well, so that would bring me to my next question. You know, we when we had Andrew Brown in here a few weeks ago, we sort of asked him the question of like, okay, it's been a few years since the Heidi Ho 
magic sort of explosion started and there was maybe seven or eight guys that took it kind of seriously at the beginning. And now four or five of that seven or eight people have qualified for pro tours. I mean, it's been quite a few years for you guys and it's been pretty gradual and everybody's kind of been in touch and stayed, stayed on the train together. I know there's a real sense in any, uh, competitive field, whether it's trying to be a stand-up comic or a musician or a competitive card player, when you get to that higher level and the people you kind of came up with start to make it, this feeling of like we've we've arrived. So for you guys walking around at the Pro Tour, was there a little bit of a feeling of like it finally paid off? Like we actually made it? Or do you still just kind of feel like you're grinding and you're not there yet? No, I, I, I still feel like I'm grinding. Like uh, I did feel like a little bit of a visitor, you know, okay. in the sense that uh, there's no, I mean, I have a route to requalify, right? Uh, but I haven't gotten there yet. Sure. Um, maybe if I return, then I'll feel less like an outsider. Um, but I was, you know, just looking for the couple of friends that I had that had qualified, um, right? And you know, talking to some acquaintances that uh, I'd met through GPs along the way. Uh, yeah, well, for me, for me personally, it was definitely a big motivating factor to see guys like Eugene and Andrew succeeding on the Grand Prix circuit because, like, in the years, the, the last few years, like, traveling to PTQs in the area, it definitely felt sort of like a pipe dream. Like, right. oh, like, there's this pro tour that, like, none of us have ever made it to. Right. And then suddenly it became this achievable goal, and it's like, oh, I can actually do this. And then, uh, yeah. And then, like... Four of us all did it within like three months of yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's entirely coincidence either. Oh, just because yeah. like, like I want to get on this pro tour because I have friends who are going, and like that was right. definitely a big thing for me when I won my PTQ. So uh, if you look back to how long have each of you guys been playing Magic for now? Um, like the be- since the yeah, beginning like when you actually started, you picked up your first island or whatever. Ah, uh, revised. Okay, so you've been back to the same as me, like ninety five, right yeah, around something 90. like that. What about I, you? I'm sort of a noob. I was new for Exia. So. Okay. But so when when do you think you would call yourself a the front end of your competitive quote quotations guys because you can't see me your competitive magic career what year do you think that was? Well, I played my first PTQ I believe in Shards of Alara Limited, but I didn't really take it seriously. So that's like what oh eight maybe ish right there oh eight oh nine yeah somewhere um, right in there and oh eight oh eight continued to just play limited PTQs. Um, I didn't really have any aspirations of actually getting on the pro tour. I just played in them because they were fun tournaments and I top aided a few but that was like I felt like that was the accomplishment in and of itself no I remember when I met you you were like very dismissive of constructed magic you were just like <laughs> ah, I'm not gonna do that I'm not gonna do that it's the waste of my time what about you Austin what, what do you think you started kind of competitive uh, I'd say it was probably like two or three years ago when I first started going to Heidi Ho and okay. I found a group of guys who wanted to get to the next level and go to all the local tournaments and like get better as a group so I know you guys have all like played, you know, drafted a lot together and done a lot of testing before. Obviously, getting to DC, I would imagine for you, Eugene, that winning a Grand Prix was probably that that first moment of like, holy, holy God, I did this. Yeah, I mean, I never, I even when I went to, I think Orlando was my nineteenth Grand Prix. Oh wow! And I was actually ready to stop traveling long distances to Grand Prix. Yeah, you were pretty. I remember seeing you like two weeks before, I think, and you were, you felt like you seemed like you were kind of burnt out on it. Yeah, I I was burnt out, and I felt like you know it wasn't a good use of my time. And uh, the closest I gotten to qualifying for the Pro Tour previously was making the top eight of a small Grand Prix, where you had to end up in the top four to qualify. And since then, I hadn't really gotten super close, so I was like, 
I don't think I'll ever make it, and this is a waste of time and money. So, other than obviously winning a Grand Prix, can you pinpoint a, a memory in your mind that was like a, a huge step along the way that you really remember meaning a lot to you as a Magic player? Yeah, I mean, top eighting a Grand Prix, I suppose. That was the, the, the first. What about you, Austin, other than winning a PTQ? Uh, yeah, a couple months before that PTQ that I won, I finished in the top 16 of uh, GPLA, okay. and... Uh, there was one point where I was like twelve and one, and I just had to like win one of my last two matches to make top eight and qualify for the pro tour and all that, all that stuff that I wanted to achieve. And I fell just a little bit short, but that sort of like lit the fire for me to really push in the next couple months to to earn that invite. Oh, and that was a hard tournament. I mean, that was basically a mini pro tour because because the pro tour was in Hawaii last time. It like all of the pros came to LA the next week were there for the GP and then went everywhere else. So it was kind of like, you guys were talking about like, oh, there's a person I know from streaming online. There's a pro player I know from there right. at the Pro Tour. It was basically that at the GP because just everyone was there. I, yeah, I think I still remember having a similar experience at GP Portland a few years ago. Where, yeah, it's a similar, up there, just everyone lives yeah, up there. Yeah, right, right, all the Seattle guys. There, and, right. um, so now you guys have both made it to a Pro Tour. What's next? What's the next step for you? Get back on. <laughs> How are you going to do it? Let's uh, just What's the just path? grind. Uh, for me, the path is pretty simple. Um, go to a lot of Grand Prix. I have 15 pro points for this year, um, and we are a, approximately halfway through it. Uh, so all I need is either a Grand Prix top eight or um, two 12 and three finishes or a 12 and three finishes, two 11 and four finishes. And I will hit silver, which would qualify me for a pro tour this season and a pro tour next season. And you have a handful more Grand Prix on the docket in your head? Oh, I've gotten more than a handful. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Austin? What's next? Uh, uh, I'm back to the PTQ grind, but I guess now it's the pre-TQ pre grind. grind. So, what do you, how do you feel about that? What's uh... um, I don't know, because like, it's, it's interesting for me, because I didn't really like the old system, but yeah. then I won a PTQ, so I <laughs> was kind of high on them, but... Yeah, now it feels a little bit harder to get on, like to get to regionals. And I mean, right. there hasn't been a regionals yet, so I don't know how difficult those are going to be. But it feels like it's going to be harder for people like me to get back on the tour. That was my opinion when we discussed it. Right. <laughs> I played at the Hideo Pre-TQ this last Sunday, and it definitely feels easier than winning a PTQ. Winning a, I mean, it feels like winning a GPT. Like, it, right. the same level of competition. Like, I did relatively decently, which has its benefits and doubts, but, like, the the field wasn't that hard because it is limited in standard, but, it, like, it felt more like game day or GPT just with, like, a little bit more people than it than anything close to what a PTQ was. And I imagine a regional feels a lot more like a pro tour slash PTQ in the middle between the two where, it, like, these are all people that earned their invites, but it's also they still haven't reached that next level. You get a Liliana promo which is awesome which has that card's like... so pricey it's ridiculous <laughs> it's like almost 200 bucks i, I would yeah. be surprised if that promo isn't about 200 bucks yeah. i think the fact that that promo is out is the reason liliana regular isn't currently yeah reaching 200 dollars a pop i mean that's great really if you think about it that like if they, if they were like winning this gpt you get a 200 dollars card as that's your because maybe you'll use these buys if you go but you probably won't because there's no airfare seems like that's kind of a nice addition I believe you still do have to attend the regional to receive the card. So if this is the regional is yeah. not nearby, then sure, sure, sure. Um, so let's let's jump into the pro tour. Uh, 
obviously the most awesome deck, or not awesome in quotations here, but the most surprising deck was the Amulet Bloom deck. The Amulet of Vigor Summer Bloom, I Kill You with Primetime on turn two deck. It didn't uh, win, but it lost against Twin. Uh, I think it was... It's been around for a while. Yeah, I, mean, I remember it, it's hearing been, about it like two years ago or a year and a half yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, it... it I mean, none of the cards are, like, new. It's not like a new card was printed that made the deck possible. It's, all the cards have been there forever, or at least since Zendikar, which is, I think, when M Amulet of Vigor was printed. World Vig, I think. Sure. Um, Zendikar block. Okay. Whatever, Kessler. <laughs> <whatever, laughs> <laughs> this is my podcast. Um, so, it's been around. It, it's just probably, and I was saying this about Pod before, is the most difficult deck to play in the format. This has actually probably been the most difficult deck to play in the format, because literally every mistake will kill you. Well, it's crazy, right? Because you're stacking triggers, and then as soon as you have two amulets on the table, there's like multiple, multiple triggers, and if you get flustered or your opponent gives you a hard time about taking too long on your turn, you can speed through it, and one mistake, one mistake means you'll you'll miss one trigger, or you'll Forget to get repacked or just 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 the fact that like tapping your mana correctly for the mana that you are imagining you're going to need ten minutes from now while you're like summer blooming a bounce land six times or two different bounce lands. And you're yeah. like, did I spend the red? Do I have red now? And if I have red, do I need blue? Am I going to need green? Sounds where like a ton of mistakes are just going to like ruin your day. <laughs> do you guys play against it at all this weekend? I didn't play against it at the Pro Tour, but I did play against it twice at Grand Prix Omaha about a month ago. And what was the experience playing against it for you like? Okay, so in my first round after buys, I played against Steven Speck, who was the finalist of the event. And you knew deck. about the deck before you played it? Uh, I mean, I knew of the deck. I had no idea, like, really how it functioned, other yeah. than that it played a Primeval Titan and some utility lands and somehow killed you with that. Right. Um... I won the match, but the most memorable moment of the match was in game two. Um, Spec is on the play, and uh, I lost during my first upkeep. You lost, right? It has, really? a, it has a turn zero kill. Oh, the high, it's the hive mind version. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. He he played a an amulet of vigor off of a simic spirit guide, and then he played a simic growth chamber um, and untapped it, floated. Blue green. Summer Bloom. Uh, and then used that to play Summer Bloom. Played it uh, three more times and made three green and three blue. And then uh, cast Hive Mind and Summoner's Pact. And then I died. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually legitimately has a turn one and a half kill. Right. So the, there was actually a deck deck with, uh, for his first name, but Cohen, who was the one that made the top eight. Justin And uh, Sam Black. And yeah. they... We're talking about, like, why is there... Because they left one Simeon Spirit Guide, and they are like, it's probably not correct, but, like, most other lists played four, but we felt like that actually just makes your deck kind of worse because you can... Because the deck is already, like, if you do not draw the exact right cards, it has problems. Right. They cut it for, um... Uh, in, uh, what's the... The green tutor... Or not tutor, but you look for five, the top five cards. Stirrings. Uh, ancient Stirrings. Yeah, they, uh... They played, you know... Four ancient, ancient stories instead, but they like he they basically kept the one Simeon Spirit Guide because they felt just like the ability to turn one or turn one upkeep kill people. Just yeah. having that ability in the deck somewhere was just important enough to keep it there, but it probably would be cut eventually. And that's what I've been saying. We talk we've talked about this a bunch, but I st I still think that there are enough decks that should be using Spirit Guide, and I think it's like way more powerful than it gets credit for. I I mean I don't know. It, obviously, if it can kill you on turn one, it's pretty darn good. But, uh, <laughs> 
you know, you do have to draw the right, and it's just a 2-2 later in the game, so it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, he did use six of the seven cards in his hand, so it's fairly unlikely. Totally unlikely. <laughs> like, actually, statistically, like, ridiculous. Yeah, um, I just want to say real quick, I played uh, in a SCG Legacy Open, I played a Belcher deck with four Spirit Guides, and I won multiple games by just playing them, casting them for three mana. And attacking <laughs> right. I've heard that. Like, yeah, I mean, anyway. 2-2, two, two, the control matchup, a 2-2 two, is just going to kind of get there. Because, like, I don't want to kill that. That's a, a Grey Ogre. <laughs> like, I don't want to force a will that. I'm just going to die to it. <laughs> so the tournament was won by Splinter Twin. Yes. Um, and now Splinter Twin... Won the first modern pro tour ever, and now the most recent one. Yeah, and the the version that he won with was, I would say, pretty close to like the standard version. He wasn't playing any like weird. It wasn't playing green. It played like a couple Vendillion clicks. I'm pretty sure it didn't play Kiki Jiki, so it's back to kind of the standard version. Right. I mean, what's interesting is during the coverage, there are I think a total of eight different types of Splinter Twin decks yeah, in right. the pro tour uh, through like in the archetype. One was like Humble Defector, right? Yeah, like there was like a, a Tassiger versions right, and, right. and Tarmo Twin, which yep. know, has been around for a while, uh, blue, white, red, and then it, it, it just kind of was the twin deck that's been around since the beginning, really since it was in standard. <laughs> so I watched uh, quite a bit of coverage. I, I saw most of the top eight matches, and I watched. The finals, and the one thing I have to say that I noticed was, obviously when you watch a twin matchup, if you know how the deck works, you know how careful the other player has to be, and you watch as they process in their head, they're, okay, can you kill me next turn, is it going to be two turns, all that. But uh, Cohen takes like nine or ten minutes, I think, on turn two, and the commentators even say at one point, like, oh, this is very reminiscent of Stanislav Sifko playing Eggs, where he has to be so... Del-. And they're trying to make it seem like, you know, because he is. He's doing math in his head, and it's so deliberate. He has to be so perfect all weekend, and he gets to this game, but I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, like, this is so boring. He's just <laughs> sitting there staring at his hand, and, like, you can see the look on uh, Antonino de... An- Antonio del Morel Leon. There you go. Uh, you can see the look on his face. It's the exact same look that was on, uh, uh, Sh- was it Shouta? No, it wasn't Shouta. It was, uh, uh, I'm mixing my players up. Who lost to Sifka at that Pro Tour? Yuya. Yeah. Yeah, Yuya. It's the same look that was on his face. The sort of like rolling your eyes like, okay, like, <laughs> if, you let me, if you let me play my turn, I'll probably win. But uh, if you kill me first, I'll just sit here and roll my eyes, even though this is the biggest moment in Magic in my entire life. Uh, and we'll, maybe I'll never even have as big of a moment, but I'm just on camera looking super bored. I think there was a point in the top eight where they told Justin Cohen that, like, the next warning for slow play he got would be a game loss. Right. They're like, you have to advance the board state. So anyway, my opinion on this sort of thing is I'm I'm glad that a deck like this exists because... Really, honestly, Splinter Twin versus a deck like this is the epitome of modern. That's like, that's like what modern is. It's like some weird random combo deck that like nobody really believes is a thing. Making the finals at a Pro Tour and then the most consistent combo deck playing against it. I mean, in the defensive format, almost every Pro Tour has a rogue deck no one thought was a thing or didn't believe in. Top eighting. Yeah. I mean, Blood Moon last or uh, Blue, Moon. Blue Moon last year. Eggs the time before that. Yeah. And then before that, it was like combo heaven because it was. Yeah. Or not Urzatron, uh Twelve Post. Yeah, twelve post followed right. by like Blazing Shoal, in fact. Like those that was yeah. the Wild West of modern. So it's cool. It's just I think my opinion on it is I d I don't know how good it is to have that kind of magic 
make it to the finals because as a spectator, which is mostly in modern I am these days, I mean, we play a lot of modern together, but obviously I'm not on the pro tour. So when I'm watching Magic at the highest level, it's a little annoying for my ADD to kick in and just be like, this is super boring. I'm getting tired of I guess this. two things at that point. A, I think this is way better than what Eggs kind of did because of the ability to win out of because nowhere. Primeval Titan in the deck. Well, <laughs> yes, that. But I mean, like, A, that allows you to actually play real Magic because they're playing a creature and everyone has Path Dex on their deck. But right. the other side of that is even when you're winning through the combo win which with Hive Mind, that happens generally quicker than Primeval Titan. So at least if they're doing their game plan correctly, they can win quickly. It's not like eggs where if you're doing your game plan correctly, you're going to take a 20-minute turn. Sure. This one, you could take 20-minute turns, and that's normally your more difficult turns, but you completely have the option of just winning quickly. Where are you guys on this deck? I mean, Austin, this feels to me like an Austin kind of deck. This. Oh, yeah. Like, I love the decks that can just, like, explode out of nowhere in, like, a single turn. Did you ever consider playing this deck? Uh, it wasn't really on my radar. I didn't think the deck was really good. I actually, <laughs> it is I, now. <laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't play it at the Pro Tour, but I did play it in uh, GP Minneapolis about a year ago. Oh, really? And they like killed me on tour two, and I just thought it was a fluke. I'm like, this is dumb. Oh, you played against it. You played against they, it. They like, I, I had the path for their Titan, and they like had the Pact of Negation. This is stupid. <laughs> did you give your opponent the satisfaction, which is like any player who plays this deck, where you like reach across the table and you're like, what does this card do? What does this card do? <laughs> that's like anybody who picks a deck like that's like all they want you to do is, is, is be like, oh, you're so clever for being. To me with this deck. I mean, anybody that plays an unexpected card just wants their opponent to pick it up and read it, right? <laughs> I'm like, this is called Grand Architect. No, this, this, this is the, this is, is called Grand Architect, guys. That is what Ben lives for. <laughs> like hunted, like hunted horror. This is called Hunted Horror. <laughs> it's, it's from Ravnica Block. It's a seven, seven. It's bigger than your worm coil engine. Um, what about you, Eugene? Do you never, uh, or how do you feel about the deck? Is what I mean to say. Uh, I mean, I I'm fairly indifferent to its existence. Uh, I think that it's fine to have it in the format, although it may violate the the turn four philosophy that sure. Wizards has, uh, but uh, I don't think it is going to have an oppressive impact on the format or anything. Do you wish do you guys wish there was a little bit more modern year round to play, or uh, what's your feeling on it? Um, I did back when Birthing Pod was legal. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this is something I want to say. I mean, after this Pro Tour, the GP before this Pro Tour had eight different decks in its top eight. Right. This had five. Sure. So. I don't know how much diversity, and this is partly because I think pro tours are leaned, and I mentioned this earlier, that pros kind of like only like taking safe choices when it comes to sure. modern pro tours, but, you know, how much did Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time and Birthing Pod really help to diversify the format? What it ended up doing is just made it Lingering Souls as the most played card on day two, and then from that point on, it's just Splinter Twin and Jund decks. Well, but we've always, we've always said this, though. I mean, a pro sits there and they look at the field, one of these guys that's on a team, that's all they do is play Magic, and they say... I trust in my ability as a player to win if I take a 50% deck. So if they take Abzan, they're just going to be like, I will be able to win more of the time because this is a pile of good cards as opposed to I have to outsmart the format if it's, you know what I mean? Right, and well, and, and because the format is a little bit more solved already, a lot of the time, and, and it's te- I think teams have something to do with this, when, you know, you have 15 of the best pros all deciding together, oh, Infect's the best deck, we're all going to play it. Right. Then... That warps the format. Like then, like that makes it so it goes from like what would have normally been a three percent of the format deck to like fifteen percent, like overnight, making it just like. And then those pros are going to do well because they're the best players in the world, and they're all friends with each other, so they are all playing the same deck. So in the end, it'll lead with them. Sure. You know, getting to the top tables, which is kind of maybe why that happens with pro tours versus right. GPs. I'm very interested to see what the next modern GP looks like. So that's Vancouver. That's two weeks. Uh, are either you guys going to that? 
Uh, I will be going to that. If you don't mind us asking, do you have any idea what deck you're going to be playing? Uh, not burnt. Not burnt. Okay. <laughs> Amulet Bloom. <laughs> um, Hunted Handsome. Hunted Handsome. <laughs> we have a list. It was on a couple podcasts ago. You can find it online, rocketjump.com. How much will you give me to play a match? <laughs> I'll chip in. I'll give you, I'll give you everything in my pocket. Uh, seven dollars. I'll give you seven dollars to play it. Hmm. I, won't provi- I won't provide the cards. I burned them all. <laughs> Okay, so now that we kind of have talked about Amulet Bloom, we're going to talk about it more to death. Uh, we're going to actually do the deck deck today on uh, the deck itself. Now, we kind of mentioned this. It has really three plans. Its first plan and kind of what it does to do the other one is ramp uh, like crazy using the combination of bounce lands, uh, Amulet of Vigor, and uh, cards that allow you to get multiple land drops per turn. So When he says bounce lands, he means the old Karoos from Ravnica, so they are... Lands that enter the battlefield tapped, they have the ability to tap for one mana of two different colors, and when they enter the battlefield, a trigger goes on the stack that you have to return a land already in play to your hand. So how it works is, what Amulet Vigor does is it's a one-drop artifact that whenever a permanent comes into play that would come into play tapped, it untaps it. So but you it's can, a triggered effect. Right, so you can actually respond to the bounce land's return effect by tapping it for mana, then bouncing it back to your hand. And if you play something like Summer's Bloom, which lets you get three more extra land drops... You can generate six mana just by playing it again and again and again, which lets you get the six mana very conveniently. lets you play a Primeval Titan, which then brings in two more lands that also untap when they come to play. I think this is a classic example. We always talk about how they, in development, they don't test for modern legacy. And I'm sure when they were designing all of these different cards, they didn't really think that somebody was going to combine a bounce land with Amulet of Vigor with Summer Bloom. I mean, Summer Bloom was reprinted in 8th edition. It's, It's one of those weird... Like, I think it's a Visions card originally. I mean, two things. One, anything that's an 8th edition is just, like, weirdly out of place in right, general if yeah. it's he's playing modern. Like, none of them fit with what the rest of the format's trying to do. The oh, other yeah. side of it is none of the cards in this deck were printed when modern existed as a format. Not one. <laughs> Even uh, Amulet. Yeah. Amulet Vigor was Prime World time. Wake, not... Modern yeah. didn't exist. Primetime was before Modern existed. I guess they're all pretty close to... Uh, yeah, you're right. So, like, that wasn't even in consideration. I don't... Uh, Gavin Verhees didn't even create, like, whatever super extended or... Uh, Over, overextended. Overextended was by when these cards were printed. Hmm. So, nothing in this deck was like, oh, this is going to be a combination in a future format that doesn't exist that we're not thinking about. It's true, yeah. Especially since the cutoff is, like, 8th edition, where... On top of that, that set just wasn't thinking about what it was doing. If you go through it, half the format's, like... Just protection from different colors. Yeah, we did a set review on that on eighth, I think eighth and ninth. Yeah, and it's the most ridiculous wasteland of just like nonsense cards that aren't good, have no place being in like being reprinted to core set things that are like. Oh, the circle of all the circle of protections are in the format. Plus stuff like shifting sky yeah. and like yeah, just weird cards that are terrible. Uh, but you you also get these super super hateful cards that exist in modern, like uh, Blood Moon. Yeah, like Blood Moon and like. Boil and choke. Choke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ensnaring braids. Just <laughs> incredibly un- all un- these super cards. griefer cards. They're yeah. just like, that's in this, what? <laughs> so we've, we talked to death about, and then we're, we will get back to the, to the uh, deck deck, but we, we've talked to death about Blood Moon. You guys knew me uh, at the time when I was PTQing <laughs> with you, where I would just be cursing Blood Moon like the whole way home. I was so angry. I would hate it so much. And then I finally took it to a tournament once and I like did well with it. I was like, this card's amazing. I was like, this is so good. This is so good. So I, I vacillate back and forth on Blood Moon. I, it definitely, in game two of the finals, he just uh, plays Blood Moon and wins. I, can, I think you can argue that Blood Moon won the Pro Tour. 
Yeah, well, it's but that's that's always been my argument why I think the cards are stupid. You shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't be able to play a single card in Magic that's just like, if I play this, you have no way of getting around it except maybe you can draw like two cards out of sixty. Generally, you have to draw a forest. Yeah, and it's just so stupid. It's like why why does that card exist? I mean. Well, it exists because 8th edition was weird. <laughs> I know, but they ban cards all the time. I'm not saying they should ban Blood Moon. It's just the sort of thing where, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think about Blood Moon? It just Well, I had it in my sideboard and Storm, and it was like one of the ways that I could beat Abzan, so I'm a fan of the card. But, uh... <laughs> I feel like everybody exists on the same. It's it's either you play with it, you win with it, or you lose to it, and you hate it. I strongly dislike the card. Yeah. I may play decks that, I may usually play decks that are incredibly weak to it. <laughs> that may have something to do with it. Uh, I, I just think that it promotes crappy gameplay. Yeah, I totally agree with him. All right, so we, we've we've covered Amulet of Vigor. We've covered Bloom, the Bounce Lands. So so generally, the, it tries and casts two big spells. Right. And, and they actually synergistically, what they're trying to do, work together. So the main one is Primeval Titan. And what it does is, when it comes into play, it brings in more lands that then untap with Amulet of Vigor. When those come into play, generally it plays um, a land that either gives Primeval Titan haste or gives Primeval Titan double strike. And generally what it does by giving it haste, he then attacks, bringing in the double strike <laughs> land, then giving him double strike and swinging for, I think it's a total of 16 damage when it swings. Th- this is like totally, yes. we, we talk about like the degenerate, uh, like degenerate things that can be done in modern and also using a primeval titan in the process. <laughs> if you watch this deck in action and you see it work when it doesn't take 22 minutes to, to win, it's pretty remarkable. It's I mean, glorious is the word I would yeah, use. Yeah, it's, it's, every, it's every Magic player who's like, I want to do something off off the wall. It's like everybody's dream. You get to play like 10, you get to play like five lands in a turn, get a 6-6 six, six into play, have it attack, get four more lands, double strike it, uh, or you can just hive mind and pact and have them lose the next upkeep. It's crazy. Well, it also doesn't kind of get into like, if you have two amulets in play, what ends up happening it's because just... you get double triggers on tapping, so you literally just it basically starts just vomiting everything in the deck into play all at once because you can double pact for two primeval titans and put them in the play off of the mana that then gives them both haste and double strike. It's just a... yeah, yeah, and and if you have two amulets, you can one shot your opponent by right. just giving primeval titan plus four plus zero instead of plus two plus zero, and then then giving it double strike. Right. Why does this deck not play uh, Wolfrun? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't need, need it. To. Just doesn't need it. It, it. It's more mana intensive than double strike. Runtime <laughs> okay. time already has trample. Right. So. Slayer Stronghold does what Wolf Run would do, but more efficiently, uh, in that it pumps the power. Uh, and yeah, Primeval Titan already has trample, so it doesn't need that. Gotcha. Right. Also, Slayer Stronghold gives it haste, which is important. Right. Yes. So it's though more important. It is playing Teleria West, which is one of our just favorites. Saying. Just a standout, <laughs> Alex Toolbox Kessler. Um. So. The, that's game plan A. Game plan B is Hive Mind. Now, what Hive Mind does is is it's an enchantment that when it's a blue enchantment costs six mana, uh, and any spell that any player casts is copied by both players. The way it wins is it uses the packs, which are the zero cost spells that you can cast for free, but then you have to pay an upkeep cost on your next turn or you lose. But if you cast a pact that is not in the colors that your opponent has, or more expensive than the amount of mana your opponent has, they just auto lose on their upkeep. Yep, it's pretty much totally unfair and awesome. Uh, the cool interaction it has is, you know, the blue pact is also a counterspell and permission spell, which is really helpful because you're playing a combo deck and being able to stop them from stopping you can outright just win you the game. Uh, and the green one lets you find, if you don't have Hive Mind, you can use it to find your Primeval Titans, which will then ramp you so you can pay for the pact on your next turn. So I- it's weird how synergistic the whole 
both different win conditions work together. This is probably the most difficult deck I've ever seen. Like, I can't think of a deck that is more difficult as you, like, when you get into two amulets. This is the kind of deck that I would absolutely time out if I tried to play at a Grand Prix. Or if I was to build it and try to test with you, Kessler, you would just, like, fire me from the podcast. Or, like, kick me out of the building, probably, because I'd be so slow playing it. No, I would leave and then come back and F6 the game. And I'd just be sitting there just tanking. <laughs> um, in testing with proxied versions. Just get some food. <laughs> um, all right, so that's, that's kind of the way the deck works. Uh, let's run the gauntlet a little bit, and I, I think we'll maybe defer to you guys on this, obviously, because you were at the Pro Tour, you kind of saw the way it worked, you played against it. I haven't actually played against this deck personally. Uh, we'll start with Twin, which is... Actually, let's do Twin last. Because it was the finals. Yeah. So uh, we will start with Burn. Eugene, you played Burn. How do you think you match up against this deck? Um... <sighs> Wow, that's that's interesting, actually, because I didn't test against it, so I'm not entirely sure. They have a really fast uh, combo kill that can potentially outrace the burn clock. Um, packs interact poorly with Eidolon of the Great Revel in that uh, they cause they you to take, take damage. damage. Right. Um, but I think that if they land the Primeval Titan and they get their Radiant Fountain and then they end up being able to attack, then you're probably done, because they'll be able to... So the deck runs some number of Radiant Fountain, Glimmer Void, and Vesuva, and between those, they would be able to gain enough life to put uh, themselves out of reach. So I think that Amulet would be slightly favored. Is there a reason they they would run Radiant Fountain rather than Kabira Crossroads? Because they actually use white mana in the deck? Radiant Fountain comes into play untapped. Right. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was giving them the tap. Well, and the, the the one thing to remember with that trick is that the bounce lands that you get to recur it as much as you want. Right. Which would work with the fountain, but this one comes into play untapped, which gotcha. is really play. So but you... more more importantly is not only do you gain the the small life buffer when you just get it into play with you know, you can either get with Primeval Titan or Teleria West. You can then start recycling it with your bounce lands when you go off. So also, uh, this this showed up in the top eight. Obviously, there was one one of this deck and two burn, or there's two of each in the top eight. Two burn, two twin, one, one amulet, yeah, yeah. and then uh, three abs at, two at three abs in. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> the burn player hates to do this, but I saw in the burn matchup where they spent like a flame slash and a lightning bolt to kill a Primeval Titan at one point. That's like the only chance that you would really have as a burn player if they get their plan online, right? You Yeah, like you Well, you would prefer to be killing them when they cast the Titan. And uh I think that if you can't, then uh you're gonna lose. You're yeah, you're, you're grasping for straws. So then if if the next matchup is infect, similarly quick, probably faster clock than burn, right? Uh yeah, infect does have a faster clock than burn. And um the amulet bloom has very little interaction in it. Right, your 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 only bets really are killing them quicker or maybe packing them to then kill them quicker. They play a single slaughter pact. Yeah, one slaughter pact, but even then it's, you know, it, they have some interaction, but yeah. once again it's how much are you how much are you doing against their threats where they'll just untap and then put another threat in the play and keep coming at you. I think because the Bloom deck is such a it's such a quick deck, it defies the turn four. I mean it obviously can take up the four turns sometimes or more, but because it can win on turn two, this matchup feels to me very much like who goes first. Like if it's if you're on the if you're on the draw That matters a lot, yes. Um just in general in combo matchups it's very draw dependent. Yeah. I mean that was, you know, some of the original statements about what modern was when it was created was it matters more in this format than any format before who goes first. 
Right. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, okay, so Abzan midrange, the uh, the boogeyman of the format. How, does, how do you think, guys think that matchup? Austin, what do you think? Uh, well, I think that the Abzan decks that we saw in this particular event were kind of not prepared for combo because they were expecting combo to not show up in big numbers, which it didn't, which is why we saw a few combo decks rise to the top because the Abzan decks weren't really gunning for these you know, powerful, consistent, but very linear strategies. Right. And this and this deck itself, I feel like, is a little stronger versus Abzan's general plan against combo decks. Sure. Like, Thoughtseize and Liliana aren't as strong against this deck as they say would be against something like um, Storm or Twin, because it's not as much of a deck that's... First off, most of the pieces are lands, which you can't get with Thoughtseize, and it goes quicker than Lilianica comes in play. And something that's cute, and they talk about this, is you use Kalini Garden, to, Kalini Garden, which puts a 0-1 plant token. Right. It's in the deck to, purely to protect Titans from Liliana the Veil. Yeah, definitely uh, this deck feels like Liliana's too slow to mess with you because you more than likely will just discard a land or won't have your creature in play yet. So... I would agree that Liliana is probably too slow, but Thoughtseize can still be good. Is really, yeah. If they take your Summer right. Bloom or something like that. It's yeah, just, yeah, or you're, if they're on the plane, they take your amulet, yeah. and your deck's bad. Right. <laughs> there were a couple games uh, on the coverage where the amulet deck just like didn't have much to do in the early turns, and it was just like, land, go, bounce land, go, land, go, and then just like, it looks pretty poor when it doesn't get its engine going. Though, the, the t- few games I did see on coverage that were these two matchups, what ended up happening is just Titan, like... Abzan didn't do enough. I mean, and I think the Abzan list that were more similar to the pod list that we mentioned would probably be a worse matchup, but regular, just straight-up Abzan doesn't put threats on the table enough, quick enough. By the t- like, they can just get the six mana cleanly. Like, Abzan's not about killing you quickly. So, like, just casting a Titan or Hive Mind off of just getting the six mana naturally mm. is something that they have to worry about. And even if they get rid of your amulet, Summer Bloom doesn't let you go off, but it does let you... Ramp still. You're still ramping mana while you when you play it. So you go like you can still like by turn four have a tight a titan in play and there's or even a hive mind and there's not a lot of Abzan can do against that. It also plays Azusa, so some of it's not your only Yeah, you have your, six, you have six. The, the the only card that you only have four of that's important yeah. is um Amulet. Yeah, the other but the issue with Azusa is that because the bounce lands trigger when they come into play, you can maintain priority and play your first one after you play Azusa, but they can respond to the first trigger before you can play your second land. So you only will get one if they have a removal spell for Azusa, whereas with Summer Bloom, you can just dump your hand. Yeah. Um, I think, what do, what do we have? Oh, Blue, White, Red. Blue, White, Red, and then Twin. So Blue, White, Red, which didn't really show up this weekend a whole lot, feels pretty controlly. And obviously they can play around your mana leak because they just can play lots of lands. I mean, the reason I included it in the gauntlet is I tried to kind of lean at all the different ways that decks attack you. Um, theoretically, Infect and Infinity would be another similar deck in my head. Right. Um, against Control, you know, it becomes a counter matchup a little bit, and that's also kind of what happens with Twin uh, with other combo decks where, I mean, if, I, if I'm wrong, you guys can disagree, but, like, the fact that they have counter magic is something you have to be worried about where you normally don't in the format because counter magic is generally not as good. Well, I remember when we asked Andrew, who he really likes Blue, White, Red, when he looks at his opening hands, because I think it was Mulligans were the, were the discussion, and he said it's really difficult if you don't have Path, Bolt, or Mana Leak in your opening hand. And obviously Bolt is not the card you want against Bloom, but Mana Leak in the early game to, to like, to sit there and, like, establish that, like, you have... The, they can't just play some Bloom on turn two. They have to wait till they can play around it. And then, obviously, Path is very good against Primetime. 
I, I, I don't think that Mana Leak is all that great against a competent Bloom player because they're able to generate so much mana that they can just be patient. And Blue White Red definitely is not a deck that can be all that proactive with a clock. Right. Um, so, and, and your remand is literally dead. Right. Um, if if they think that you have remand and they're on the Titan plan, they just get Cavern of Souls with Talaria West, um, which, and, and both parts of that are uncounterable, and they can't counter your packs with remand, so... Right, and, and, and the few counter spell wars I saw, the only one, like, the, it took four, I think, three counter spells from the twin player in the finals to actually beat it, because the pact, you can just cast it and then win that turn. Right. Because they have the ability to win that turn, the the, the negative effect of a pack where you're time-locking yourself on your next turn matters a lot more, and the fact that they ramp so hard means that even if they do time-lock themselves, it's not as bad because they still have nine mana, so they only lose out on the five. Well, Path is good against you, and then also blue eye red after board has Counterflux, which is probably pretty darn good against you, I would imagine. Though maybe a little slow if they get a good start. E- even then, it's like, worst taste scenario, they counter one of your spells, but they're not doing anything. Yeah, right. Like, in, 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 in reality, I think Geist blue white red decks are probably a yeah. little bit better, because yes, then at least, then at least, like, Snapcast, you know, Snapcaster Bolt and Geist coming at you is something you have to be So you have to get that, like, three-turn win, otherwise you'll just lose. Yeah, like, what are you really countering with Counterflux? Are you countering a Pact? Because then you're down on mana. Well, they don't have to probably Hive Mind or Titan would be so, the cards you're countering. And it's very difficult to counter a Titan because they can search for Cavern of Souls. True. Uh, all right, the last deck, the, the finals deck, Twin, uh, which... Super boring to watch the matchup. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, it, it seemed like Blood Moon was the card. That's that, like as you said, won the Pro Tour. Yeah, a big part of it too is Twin is very similar to Blue White Red in that it can play a very controlling game plan. Like end of turn, game. Uh, the winner of the event, uh, Antonio, whatever his last name is. He uh, <laughs> last name. We, we have Eugene on, on, on hand for this one. You got it right last time. Del Morale Leon. There we go. <laughs> very good. He uh, he like post board. He had a lot of counter spells to bring in to to mess with the Bloom players' uh, proactive plan. But really, what gave him the edge was the ability to play all these flash creatures and put pressure on his opponent's life total, so that he couldn't just sit back with infinite time and set up like sculpt the perfect hand to fight through the counters and like like put the ball in his court basically, which gives the twin player a big edge. Do you think without Blood Moon, he would have been anywhere near as confident in that matchup? Uh, yes, nearly, because um, Deceiver Exarch and Pestermite are so good against Primeval Titan. Right, shuts down the plan pretty well. Yeah. And, and, and tap lands. Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, it definitely just, because it's because it's all about, like, an extra two turns on either side means so much, but because your plan as the twin player actually negates their plan by tapping down their threat, it shuts down half their deck because they have to try to beat you with hive mind. But then you can just con- you can just counter right. that. Right, and and you're advancing your plan while shutting down their plan. Yeah, so it seems like twins pretty well positioned against it. Right, which is why it beat it in the thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one thing I did want to point out because this I, I just remembered this uh, for the Abzan matchup. Um, Liliana can be a problem if they stick it to a certain extent. Their game plan actually for sideboarding is they have four or five different giant just random dudes right. that just cost a bunch of mana. So they have, like, I think one Hornet Queen, two Terastodon. Oh, yeah, I saw uh, this, yeah. Or not Terastodon. Um, Thrag Tusk. Thrag Tusk. 
Uh, and like their game plan is just like, I'm going to top deck better than you. Like Your cards are going to be Tarmogoyf. I'm going to play Thrag Tusk, and it's just going to be better than what you're doing. Makes sense. And they get the man. Like they can, they have no problem getting the mana in play. It just needs to be something to kill them with that like is thought sees resistant, and just having more giant threats that are impossible to deal with is their game plan. Because they can just play a Hornet Queen super fast. Right. If you right. if you get a Hornet Queen anytime before turn five against Jund or uh, Abzan, I don't know exactly how they beat that. <laughs> That actually also sounds like a hedge against uh, cranial extraction effects. So right. they don't yeah, yeah. lose their Titan and their best plan. Right. Uh, well, that pretty much wraps us up for today. Yep. Uh, covers the Pro Tour. Uh, thank you guys for coming by. It, uh, it's awesome to talk to somebody. I mean, one day after the Pro Tour, it's pretty exciting. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we'll hope to hope to talk to your crew. We, I, we've talked about it before, but we, we would really want to get as many of the guys from the team all, all in here together for like a big group cast at some point to just sort of tell the story from beginning to end. We'll get like double-decker um, chairs. Yeah, it's, it's a small room. We'll do something. Well, I don't know. We'll, but, uh, yeah, we, we hope to do that in the, in the future. Kessler, you want to give some shout-outs real quick before we... Uh... All right, so as always, we've been doing these shout-outs where we shout on Twitter a question and we get some answers. Uh, this week we asked what people's favorite new deck they saw at the Pro Tour. Uh, a lot of people said Abzan Infect. I'm going to say it correct this time. It's V is for Vincent. I keep saying Viz for Vincent. Yeah. Uh, he, come, he tweets it every week. Uh, he, he said uh, the Amulet Bloom deck, that the fact that two of them played into the finals, the second Amulet Bloom deck is his was his favorite. Um, the other one is Ziggy next, which is Ziggy Mon, Mon I'm never going to say any of these things right. I'm like the worst person to be reading these. We're sorry, uh, Ziggy. Is, uh, his, he was, he loved the fact that there were like four different versions of Abzan that all kind of made it towards the top right. tables. Um, also, you know, as always, please shout out to us on Twitter. We are the MM cast on Twitter. I am at Kess Wiley. I am at Ben Bateman Media. And you guys both have Twitter. We haven't had a Twitter, someone with Twitter on for some reason, like the last four casts. But what are you guys' Twitter accounts? Uh, you can find me, Eugene, at Dead Sea Shoals. And I am Buckwiz18. That's we'll, the weird names, guys. <laughs> Buckwiz Shoals. I was kidding. <laughs> uh, and we'll be tweeting those. And if you go to rockyjump.com, you'll be able to click on the Twitter links there. Um, as always, you guys should go check out our sister podcast, The Command Zone. Which is, say it right. <laughs> I said it right. Oh, the, the, I get the Twitter right every time. It's <laughs> The Command game. Cast. I just get their name wrong because I keep calling it The Command Cast. Right. Okay, that was embarrassing. We got it right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I got oh, it right this time. Back ra- off. <laughs> so rate us on iTunes. Obviously, your feedback means a lot. We are now on YouTube as well. Uh, we... We are putting all the old episodes up and the new episodes yeah, up. So we've been doing uh, Throwback Thursdays. Every Thursday we'll post a video from like last September, which sometimes is really funny because they're super dated. I think uh, this week we last just posted the Cons uh, uh, of Turkey review where we talk about how unplayable Dig Through Time and uh, Just Guy Ascendancy are. Pretty funny. We were really good on that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, and then every Monday, Tuesday, generally uh, the video, f- the, the most recent podcast from the week before will be posted. Also, we are trying to get Paul Reitzel in here, so tweet at him because we think he's awesome and we want to talk to him. Oh yeah, just be like beyond the yeah. Yeah, just yeah, tell yeah, him. Just definitely. tell him. Why not? Uh, <laughs> um, thanks for coming by, and again, yeah. thank you guys for stopping by. We'll hope to uh, talk to you before you make your next pro tour. Sounds good. Excellent. Take care. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the mmcast at rocketjump.com. See you later. Alligator.